Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week, happy President's Day. This happy week, President's instead Day. of uh, uh, getting a good sale price on a couch, I'm looking for the best book about presidents because they do a lot of sales. Well, you could, just to be clear, you could do both. You could get the good deal on a couch and then you could also find a good book about a president. Or you could find a good book about a couch and get a good deal on this podcast. Who's got the time, guys? Uh, and to help me are uh, the two guys, uh, two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Uh, my name's Joe Holshu. Uh, I, I am, I've never been the president of anything. I've never been the vice president of anything okay. because political office is for nerds. And also Abraham Lincoln, who I brought a book about this week. Nick, if you want to read the best book about a president that I've ever read, I do. you should read Lincoln in the Bardo by Certified Oddball George Saunders. Oh, certified oddball. Well, how do you get your certification for that? Is there like a test you have to take or? I think it's just like consensus. It's mostly like certified by like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for a high school English teacher, Dr. Ian DeYoung, to present a book for the podcast You Don't Know Lit with the theme of President's Day and to Mm -hmm. explain to his podcast co-hosts what elements of that book are praiseworthy and desirable and what elements should cause that book to win the laurel of this most exhilarating of competitions. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that he should declare the book which impels him to this presentation, namely and to wit on this 21st day of February 2022, the aforesaid educator to declares that he shall present on a fictional novel Jesus written by the Christ. cinematographer Bill Zarchi entitled Finding George Washington, A Time Travel Tale. I feel like wow. Ian has found like a loophole in the podcast where he's like, well, Nick times me for 30 seconds when I actually introduce my book, but I'm going to filibuster this podcast <laughs> and I'm yeah. never going to stop my intro. No, here's the thing. Um, obviously, you guys picked up on this because you're so urbane, but that was mm-hmm. a parody of the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. Famously right. For sure. I think we all Washington. got that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just did a little parody and that's why it's, it's funny. I could just, I can just imagine now the lit heads just giggling and just, holding their tummies. Oh yeah. That's the type of humor that's just going to hit them right in the gut. Nice. Just crashing <laughs> into true. other cars from laughter. <laughs> <laughs> You've just killed 25% of our fan base. <laughs> Dang it. Lit, I'm sorry. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> uh, guys, are we going to finally settle who's better? George Lincoln or Abraham? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, we we will decide it here today. I mean, that George is the Abraham. famous debate, right? People are like, well, okay, let's talk about greatest all-time presidents. There's Lincoln, obviously. Taft, obviously. Washington, obviously. But who's the best? Who's, Ian and I made a decision. We left Taft out, right? Just went with Lincoln and Washington. We figure it out today. Did Lincoln have slaves too, or was that just no. George? No, he was no. against it. And here's the thing: was he though? I don't. I don't mean to come at <laughs> yes, Lincoln yes, super he was. hard right now. One second, mm, politically, like yes. Say that. yes, he was famously against it. Mm. I don't. I don't mean to trash on Lincoln really bad right now. I'll do that later. Okay, but I do think he was super poor. 
And maybe if he had been born somewhere else and was more rich, he would have had slaves. Oh, sure. Like maybe if he had been born as like a winner in the capitalist system, he'd be kind of okay with collecting the (laughs) profits of other people's labor. Yeah, I could Uh, see that. (laughs) Or even just like middle class. Now, uh, Joe, I don't know anything about your book, but it sounds like it doesn't really cover uh, Abe Lincoln at all. Yeah, so um, my book covers <laughs> one night of Abe Lincoln's life. Perfect. Great selection yep. there. Um, so uh, <laughs> now uh, my understanding of Lincoln is that it was politically advantageous. Like he had to make these political t- decisions to abolish slavery. But as far as his personal opinions go, I don't think he was like necessarily, uh, you know, a saint. Well, I, I think that's a lot of speculation. It's hard <laughs> right. to say. Cause they're, cause they're dead. Like he wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't yeah, Nick, like, what are you going to do? Ask him. <laughs> that's a good point. Let's move on. He wouldn't, well, he wouldn't like come out and say, yeah, I'm totally just doing this for the right. political capital. Mm-hmm. So like, and, and in, in his letters, maybe he would write things about how like, this is, this is a difficult decision, but I have to make it. But in the end, who knows? And why even ask? Yeah, I guess that's by contrast. George Washington definitely did own slaves. <laughs> right. And he had those hippo teeth. So equally bad. Him. He had hippo teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Do you think his smile was like really big? Like, do you think like the hippo teeth didn't fit in his mouth? And like when he smiled, he looked like a cartoon character. I don't think I know what you mean by hippo they teeth. They were full size hippo teeth. Joe, what is hippo teeth? Uh, apparently, Joe knows a lot. Uh, some interesting facts about your author, Ian. <laughs> well, no, like, there's like, would this, you like to expound on your hippo teeth comment? Joe? Well, there's this tale. There's this tale about George Washington having wooden teeth. Like, like he famously, uh, famously. incorrectly had had wooden teeth, but his teeth were not actually made out of wood. They were made out of the teeth of animals, and like, I mean, also probably people but i believe hippopotamus is one of those animals i'm speculating um well no speculating is not the right word i'm i'm digging deep no, it looks like it's a fact i'm on history.com and uh it says he began losing his teeth in his 20s and was eventually forced to wear several sets of unsightly and painful dentures yeah Guess what? so dentures, when he smiled i think it was a big cartoon smile. dentures his dentures play an important part in the plot of my book Really? Okay, so yep. uh, both of you brought um, nonfiction. No, I brought, mine's my. Or I'm sorry, both fiction. of you brought fiction. Both of you brought. Both of us brought fiction this week. <laughs> yeah, because all of the books about the nonfiction books about presidents are like literally thousands of pages long, mm-hmm. right? And also, they're kind of hard to talk about because it's it's just a recounting of that president's life. First, he a did this, boring, and huh? then he did this, and then he did this, and we can't. Like, we don't have that much time on this show. The Litheads are busy people. They have things to do. And as Ian established, who cares? They're dead. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let's move on. I think, well, honestly, like, so many of these guys are so mythologized already. I think it's kind of fun to be like, hey, let's take this myth and do something fun with it or something oddball with it. Yeah. Um, it, already, so many of the stories are just complete yeah. lies. What's, a, what's another lie or two going to matter? Right. Vampire hunter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think that's true. I like. I don't believe he was a vampire hunter, but we'll never right. know. For we sure. don't. Right. Well, he is dead. He's dead. I don't. Yeah. He's, dead. he's dead. I don't want anybody to care about me after I'm dead. Well, <laughs> or know anything about you either. Famously, <laughs> we can no longer know things about people. Let's after move on. Dead. <laughs> well, welcome, Lit Hat. See, you don't know Lit. 
Well, mm. weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast. Let has I'm fighting off a little cold here again. Nick, I'm worried about you. I feel like you were sick like two weeks ago when we recorded. Are you? Yeah. Are you okay? Well, if you don't know, Joe, um, when you have a one-year-old child in daycare, mm. you are sick constantly. It's when like you have a one-year-old petri dish that lives in your the house. Child with you. is, a, is a sickness magnet. She put her whole hand in my mouth the other day. <laughs> that's, a, that's rude. <laughs> Have you have you sat her down and explained germ theory to her? Because no, I thought it was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bite it? Did you get it? Oh <laughs> yeah, got it. Good. Uh, anyway, oh oh oh, hello, Litheads. We didn't see you there. Uh, welcome um, to you don't know Lido weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast. Where every week uh, I come up with a theme, and Joe and Ian here bring a book recommendation. And of course, we have a couple rules uh, to keep us on track. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. It's and true. rule number three, winning isn't everything. It's the, only, it's the thing only thing that's important here because we will have a winner today, folks. Can, um, can I just can I just finally ask, putting to just, bed Abe V. Horge. Horge. <laughs> can I just ask if we could maybe turn the last? So the first two rules start with O. Oh, mm. uh, Yeah. And the third mm-hmm. one starts with wuh, win. Oh, right. Can we right. do something that's like... A good, no, that's a good point. Can we do something with the third one like, oh, winning oh, isn't everything. winning isn't everything. Or... Only winning. Only winning. Impor- Let's just change the quote completely. Well, it's, it's a quote. <laughs> I mean, that's how it works, dead. guys. He can't, you can't say Vince Lombardi afterwards. Yeah, only winning matters. <laughs> Rule number three. <laughs> <laughs> only winning matters is not bad. It's, there's a lot of brevity there. Yeah, uh, yep. it kind of is contrary to rule number one, which is omit needless words. Like it's it's a little bit verbose, yeah, isn't call, it? It's call. like just it's get a to the fucking verbose. point. Yeah. Um. So and again, you know, that's Vince Lombardi. He's dead, so he doesn't matter what he thinks. Exactly. He doesn't, doesn't just care. Move on. Whatever he Vince said. doesn't care. Uh, nope. Ian, uh, Joseph, uh, I'd mm-hmm. like to hear about your books in thirty seconds or less, which has never <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, still so hoping. feel free yeah we're holding out hope here but feel free to tap into that if you ever want fucking to um anyway joseph yes please take that 30 seconds and all right give me a taste nick i'm a little bit nervous um on this show it's easy to talk about books that i like but it is impossible to talk about books that i've loved and this book i absolutely loved and on top of that it's a really weird book so here here it goes during his presidency abraham lincoln's 11 year old son dies in my book, he does not go to heaven. He does not go to hell. Instead, he goes to the Bardo, a liminal purgatory-like state where spirits who are still tethered to the world hang around. That's so The much. problem yeah, is that the time. Bardo is no place for a child. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, oops. Oops, you inserted all of your personal opinions instead of telling me what the book was about. Well, it's kind Ian. of the plot. Like, the Bardo is no place for a child. That's the plot. Okay, okay. Perfect. Great. Pardo... No child. Only, only <laughs> Jimmy Pardo is a place for a child. Spell it with me. B-A-R-D-O. <laughs> Ian, your time has started. In my book, George Washington travels forward through time to 2014. He learns a lot about the modern world. There are hijinks. There is danger. There are powerful drug cartels working hand in hand with the FBI. There's right. a sailboat that gets dragged up a hill. Finding George Washington is a weird book. I didn't expect to say this, but it's also a fun book. I like it's I think it's really 
interesting that we both like if the theme this week was the weirdest books about presidents, we might have nailed it. Like we might have just knocked it out of the park. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love it. What's your book called? Finding George Washington. A time travel tale. A time travel tale. It's it's all right there on the tin. Wow. Mm -hmm. Five out of five here on readers favorites, whatever the fuck that is. And Joe, you have a four out of five on audible.com. Who is who is who who narrates that book? Who narrates my book? Lincoln and the yeah. Bardo? Uh, would you like me to name all 136 of the narrators in my oh, book? Because sheesh. it is read by a full cast and there are many characters. Yeah, I see Nick Offerman, Nick Offerman, Julian Moore, Bill Hader, this do other guy. They do. They, who, they, do. they all read it on top of each other and it ends up being kind of like this gray sound. Yeah. I just got to figure out what a bardo is. So, Joe, why don't you, uh, why don't you start off? And I, because I, uh, Ian, I won't be able to concentrate if I'm just thinking of bar, no, bar, what it. a bardo is. Right. You know, bardo, bar, bardo, 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 bardo. I don't know. It sounds like a lot like barn. So, I'm thinking it's a physical location, oh, like a barn good. with, yeah, with hay. Yeah. Right. I'm going to say it's a name that you call, like, if you're playing dun- Dungeons and Dragons and there's uh-huh. a guy in your, in your group who plays on a guitar and you say, Hey, Bardo, get over here. We got a set of these imps. Yeah. Like an Irish bard. Yeah. And I know an Irish Bardo. Yeah. When, when I was young and playing Dungeons and Dragons, we, that, that's how we would name characters frequently is you would just pick like a thing and then you would put an O at the end of it. So we had wow. an NPC in our game for years called Dearlo. <laughs> And deer low was all sorts of things, but it was just deer with a low at the end. Wait, I'm I'm confused. I'm sorry, I'm confused. Was this mm-hmm. this this NBC <laughs> thing was what being a, a, he was, a an animal, was, a deer, a buck, or uh, being like our dear friend what i don't I, th- I think we just really liked the sound of it like i think we were just like trying oh, things on okay. getting the mouth feel and we're like mouth God. okay you're cow-o. done you just said mouth feel you're done here uh please <laughs> all right okay so when i uh, this is book this is book <laughs> this <laughs> this is book and i am oh, love I book. how it's gonna be guys <laughs> i am book <laughs> this right. is book Okay. One of our more rudimentary beginnings to a a, a book review. (laughs) This is book. Before I read this this podcast, (laughs) I thought a bardo was probably going to be a bedroom. That was my guess. Like it's it sounded bedroomy to me. Yeah, it does sound Um, sexual. It does. What I learned pretty quickly reading this book is that <laughs> not it. it is not a bedroom, not a barn, or not whatever weird Ian said. Thing yeah. Ian said. Uh, what the bardo is, the best way to think of it for us would be like saying purgatory, right? Like the bardo is a place that in Tibetan Buddhism, you go after you die, and it's a place that is neither heaven nor hell. I guess in Buddhist terms, that is before you get reincarnated. It's this place that you hang out and wait to be to become your next form. So that is the bardo. Okay, so it sounds like a lot less fun than uh, than than, uh, than uh, a barn full of hay. We're yes. thinking, yeah, yeah. Well, I I would argue it's actually much more interesting than either of hey. those. Joe, were you the president of your bardo when you guys were growing up on the farm? <laughs> Um, I don't mean to get too far into Catholic theology here, right. but, my, but as I understand it, but <laughs> as I understand it, purgatory is not particularly a nice place oh. um, because you got to pay money. You got to pay the, you got to pay the big music. man to get out of purgatory. Right. 
Uh, That's how the Catholics work. Oh, you want to get out of here? How about a little cash? (laughs) Um, Well, but so is is purgatory is the bardo is the barbo is the barbell um, a place that is like a bad place or is it kind of like um, those that place in uh, Greek mythology where it's just kind of like nothing? It's kind of gray. It's kind of yeah, hanging out there. Oh, like that place with the Harry Potter. The thing at the end of the Harry Potter movies when yes. you just in yeah, a white like a, like, yes. train station. Yeah. Is it yeah, kind of like, like that? A white space. No, okay. The Bardo is, all things being equal, the Bardo is a bad place. Um, oh, no. It is a place, it, you know what it is? It's ghost rules. Do you know how ghosts stay here because they have some unfinished business? On I do Earth? know that. Because I have, do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that. like that's know commonly that. yeah, known. We all know ghosts. that. Yeah. Yep, of course. That that's who's in the Bardo. So most people Ghosts? in this book, oh, when they this die, is a ghost book. It's a ghost book. Most people, when they die, they move on, right? And some go to heaven, some go to hell, and and kind of the 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 way that this book works. Um, but some people, a, a huge minority of people, choose to stay. It seems like an oxymoron. Keep going. <laughs> a huge it's minority, forty nine percent of people. <laughs> Fine, a tiny minority. Boy, that doesn't make as much sense. <laughs> Hey, Joe, what's your book about? I'm interested. Okay. This sounds interesting. This is a, yeah, a, fun, a fun take with characters we love. Let's. Well, it is It is not that fun. Um, there are some characters A fun take love. on characters that were don't boring you, and dead that we don't, don't have to care about. Don't you dare have fun, Nick. If any of you have fun, <laughs> let heads, let heads right. listen book to me carefully. If you have fun, you're on notice. This is, you're going to yeah, be sent to the book. Um, Okay. Tell us about your sad book. George Saunders is the writer of my book, and George Saunders um, is famous for writing short stories. Um, in fact, he's kind of in this, in a weird class of people where he became kind of famous in the right literary circles as a writer, but the only thing he published up until this book was short stories. He published something like 11 books of short stories before this came out. Um, and he's kind of a, like I said, a big deal in the right circles. He tells a story about how 20 years before he wrote this book, um, he was not working as a writer yet. He was in Washington, D.C. with his wife's cousin, and his wife's cousin just offhandedly pointed to a tomb up on a hill in a graveyard. And she said, oh, that tomb, kind of a cool story, kind of an interesting story. When President Lincoln was in office, his son died. His 11-year-old son died while he was in office. That's the tomb that they buried him in. And that's obviously not a fun story or an interesting story. That's a sad story. The interesting part of it becomes multiple newspapers from the time say that each night after Willie Lincoln's death, Lincoln would let himself into the cemetery, climb the hill to the tomb, go to where Willie's body was interred and take the body out of the casket and cradle it and like sob. And George Saunders is like, I had this moment, like this, this vision in my head all of a sudden of the Lincoln Memorial cradling a dead son, kind of like Mary cradles Jesus's body after he comes down from the cross. And he said, that image was in my head for 20 years. Was well, he Lincoln Memorial? Was he drinking acid? I don't know how the Lincoln Memorial can cradle something. So, so well, you, you know, like Lincoln sitting there, like in his Oh, the statue. Wisdom, I thought he was thinking the huge the building statue. with pillars and columns. I didn't understand no, yeah. the statue. Yep, the statue inside, right? Um, gotcha. Cradling, cradling this body. And Sanders, Saunders says, it's an image I absolutely could not get out of my head. And when I was between kind of 
in this weird space between publishing a book of short stories and like it was all ready to go. Um, and I just had like a few months in which I could write. I thought, well, I've never written a novel like this. This might be it. I've I've been thinking about it for a while. What's with the bringing in of like this Buddhist Buddhism concept of Bardo into that story? Yeah. So George Saunders is a practicing Buddhist. He, okay, he's kind so, of famously a Buddhist, there right? He he converted to Buddhism. He he writes about it, right? He writes a lot about love. He writes a lot about kindness, especially as he gets a little bit older. Uh, and he says explicitly in an interview that one of the reasons he called it a bardo, the bardo, and not purgatory is right. because he didn't want the reader to come in with any preconceived notions of what this place was essentially like Saunders wanted to be able to write the rules for it and he didn't want you to be thinking Oops. of hey sorry George we just spent the last 10 minutes explaining the part <laughs> yeah he didn't want you to come in and be like yeah it's like that train station in Harry Potter <laughs> oops well okay uh <laughs> listeners please remove the last several minutes from your mind um Okay, so what what's the premise here? Yep, the whole premise is this. Um, Willie Lincoln dies. He gets interred at this tomb, and his dad tells him as he's dying, um, like, hey, I'm going to come for you, buddy. Right? Like, just like, like words to comfort his, his dying son, right? Uh, like, hey, buddy, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to come for you. You never make a promise you can't fulfill. So right. Willie... Willie shows up in the afterlife, like in this bardo. And it's a world populated by all sorts of people who are like ghost rules, people that are still tethered to earth by a variety of ailments or desires or whatever it is. And Willie really unsettles these inhabitants of the bardo because for the most part, kids don't hang out here. Like when kids die, when babies die, they move on right away. Like nothing holds them here. But Willie Lincoln hangs around because he says his dad is coming for him. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This sounds really sad, Joe. Okay. <laughs> it is, but it's also like, like interesting and thoughtful and like really funny at places and really weird, like in a way that only George Saunders books can be. Basically, a couple of spirits uh, take it upon themselves to be like, hey, this kid's got to move on. We have to convince his dad, like like his dad who comes and visits him at night. We have to convince his dad to tell him, you know, like the corpse to tell him, like, it's OK, you can go. The problem is, is that the spirits in the Bardo, the spirits in Purgatory can't actually affect the living world in any way, ghost or at rule. least they never classic successfully ghost have yeah. ghost rules, classic ghost, ghost rules. Yeah, those are, those are so classic that's ghost the rules. central tension of this book. A couple of spirits kind of get together. They try to help Willie Lincoln move on by getting Abe to more or less release him. Um, and, and that's where it goes. Oh, uh, okay. Quick question. You obviously mm -hmm. cry at the end of this book, right? It's uh, the end of this book is it, sure. Sure. You might cry at the like, end of this like book, a normal. But it's, I mean, like a normal human, like would a psychopath <laughs> cry at the end of this book? <laughs> sure. Would a psychopath? I don't know. But a normal human like this is a very touching book in a lot of ways. There's moments where this set book is in unbelievably sad, but there's also moments of this book that are unbelievably nice or sweet or beautiful. I mean, there's, there's prose in this book that is just, it, it is genuinely awe inspiring. And you go, Oh, 
I see why George Saunders is such a big deal, right? Like this is what a beautiful way to uh, describe this. Is um so is this whole book exploring parent children relationships or is it What's more What's the overt of, message? Yeah, what is the overt <laughs> message? What is the secret learning here? A lot of the tension around this book and I think a lot of like the most interesting stuff around this book and and we can get towards the overt message from this is what's keeping the people in the Bardo in the Bardo? Like, what are they holding on oh, to in their what's lives? what's holding you back in life? I right? bet you it's, what are they hold- I bet well, it's and, like and Starbucks. In and, this and, case, and, what's holding you back like, in right. death? I'm sorry, uh, Ian, did you want to talk about Starbucks? <laughs> are they having a President's Day sale that we should know yeah. about? Go over to Starbucks. They'll give you a free couch, but it's been sat on by a lot of people. Is the Bardo, like, is it grotesque? Like, what's the vibe? What's the tone? Yes. Is it like, oh my God. Is it yes. like creepy? Is it spooky? Yes. Is it like kind yes. of melancholic and mournful? Is it yes. like, look at these nasty like people who have their heads cut off and stuff? Yeah, okay. It's not Mardi Gras, Ian. So the, the Bardo, Bardo is Gras. all of those things. <laughs> Bardo Gras. People, people are in the Bardo sometimes because they're holding on to possessions in life. Like they want their Ferrari, right? Like that is absolutely a reason that they that some people stay. Not sp- explicitly Ferrari, but, you know, whatever the 18th right. century equivalent of Lamborghini was Ferrari. Sure. Um, sometimes people are in the Bardo because they miss a loved one so much. In, in the case of Willie Lincoln or in the case of one of our main characters who who stays behind because oh. he oh wait hold on um mm-hmm. uh a mustang mustang yeah that would be like the right the, yeah, the yeah good words, show because nice. like they didn't have ferraris back then but they had right, horses they nick thank you for mustang. stopping then, like, joe's a, flow to to make sure you got no it's, that, it was great that there, right really useful yeah I, I was looking at horse breeds and seeing if there was anything close to ferrari here's Clyde's a, a fry burger but that's yeah but then then occurred to me mustang would be black beauty yeah secretariat a lot of Got Irish <laughs> things. So there's a there's somebody who's holding on to their loved one. Yeah, there's one man, um, the guy that Nick Offerman voices in the in the audiobook. He was this older guy. He married a younger girl in an arranged marriage, and he didn't consummate the marriage because he wanted to be a gentleman about it. Like his wife wasn't that into him. Like she didn't want to sleep with him. And then one day he gets a note from her that says, hey, I think I'm ready tonight, right? Like, I think I want to consummate this marriage tonight. That day, the guy that Nick Offerman plays is at work and the central beam falls on him and kills him. So the thing that keeps him in the bardo, the thing that keeps him tethered to earth is his lust for his wife. And Ian, to answer your second question, is it grotesque? The answer is, Absolutely. In almost every case, because the people in the Bardo, their external, their physicality manifests in a symbolic way for their uh, thing that keeps them tethered to life. So in the case of Nick Offerman's character, he manifests as a naked man with a massive erection. And when he gets excited, his erection gets bigger. And sometimes they run after things and he has to carry his penis in his hands. (laughs) Do yep. your ears right. hang low? Do they wobble to the throw? <laughs> so, like for example, if I was gonna, I was gonna ride my horse one last time, my Ferrari mm-hmm. horse named Mustang. Right. I, I but, would maybe be in purgatory with some sort of flowing mane, horse right. hooves, half you horse man, half. You might be a half, beautiful half centaur. Half Wait, would you, t- would you turn into the thing that you desired? Because <laughs> <laughs> right. well, it's almost always done in a very Ian's grotesque way. <laughs> 
Hey, Joe, did you ever read Dante's mm-hmm. Inferno? Oh, my God. This is so it sounds much. sounds like a shameless I, ripoff of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> Ooh. Yep, shameless ripoff. So, the, yeah, this is, like, it, it has Dante's Inferno vibes. It also has, like, oh, my God, what's his name? Guy that I hate. James Joyce vibes, oh, right? Um, like, it has Dante's Inferno vibes. It has James Joyce vibes. Like, it is... Like in some ways, like the interesting parts of this book are the descriptions of what happened to you in the afterlife and all the different levels of torment that we kind of bring upon ourselves, right? I I, I see Nick about to jump in and explain to us what Dante's Inferno is about. So I'll just I'll just cut him off at the pass and remind all of you. Um, Smart. That Dante's Inferno is where he goes <laughs> to the underworld and he meets a bunch of people in the various nine circles of hell and their punishments in hell match what they did in life so you get yeah. punished if you if yep. you were if you are proud you get punished in a way that kind of like really gets your pride if you're a glutton you get i think eaten yeah. and pooped out again or that might be hieronymus bosch i'm looking at a lot of one star reviews and they all comment yeah. on the format of this book yeah what's the okay. format so and why didn't you talk about it sooner the audiobook recording of this has something like 130 or 160 different characters because this book is told in snippets when we're in the bardo. It's almost like a play. There is no real description. It's always a speaker, right? So either, you know, the reverend speaks or the naked guy with the massive erection speaks or the guy that's made entirely out of eyes and hands and ears speaks or the woman <laughs> who collects acorns and twigs because whatever speaks, right? Like you always have a character assigned to it. When you're not in the Bardo, though, when you're just trying to get the historical context, when you're talking about Abe Lincoln's life, when they're talking about the night that Willie died, George Saunders has stitched the entire thing together from primary sources. So letters, articles from the time, newspaper clippings, right? Oh, well, here's the this is the best part. That sounds really interesting. So it's really cool. And a lot of them. And the reason it's hard to read, like the reason the format is tough is because at first that is so jarring. These things, he he never has like long pieces in there. It doesn't read as like epistolary in that way, right? Where it's like a long letter or something. It's like three lines from somebody's letter about how ugly Abraham Lincoln is. And then two lines from a newspaper article about how ugly Abraham Lincoln is. (laughs) And like all these kind of like, We've talked about this before, but it reminds me of like the scene in the Batman movie where they have like the sonar on all the phones and you can kind of get like a sense of things right. from right. pinging. Like a like a like a collage right. or um, a pastiche. Yeah. Those would have both been quicker ways to answer the question. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think of the Batman movie. <laughs> So that's it. So it's just like a series of incomplete thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. It's a series of incomplete thoughts and this is what made it so hard, especially on audiobook at first, and it gets past this problem eventually. But at first, because they're all primary sources, George Saunders has an attribution for all of them. And in the audiobook, they read the attribution for all of them. Jesus. So it'll be like three lines, here's the attribution. Two lines, here's the attribution. Five lines, here's the attribution. And as a reader, as a listener, you're going, that's ridiculous. What the hell is going on here? This yeah, is unre- unlistenable. Um, now, I will say, when you're reading the physical book, right. your eyes skip right past those attributions, and you definitely get a, a more cohesive thing. And in the audiobook, once you get past the first couple of chapters, which are heavier in this sort of style, and you get into like the 
play sort of thing. Like when you're hanging out in the Bardo most of the time, now it's like you're watching a play, right? It's characters speaking to yeah. one another. It's, it's clearly characterized. It's voiced by really distinctive voices. So in my head, like the main characters are are George uh, George Saunders is one of them. He voices one of the main characters. David Sedaris is another one who voices one of the main ones. And Nick Offerman. Like in my head, this book is mostly a conversation between those three people. Is this the kind of book that somebody who doesn't have any George Saunders context can appreciate? And if so, what? Like what? What? What about this? What about this is a is a gateway to George Saunders? Or do you really have to start by reading some of his short stuff to understand like how he works? Yep, Ian, I feel so confident saying that both you and Nick and knowing and everything that that entails. So Ian, PhD, Shakespeare, like a little hoity toity. Let's be honest, litheads, right? Ian, you would absolutely love this book. Like you, if you would come back raving about this book, and you will once you read it, right? Nick, Nick. like. Pretty nice guy. Um, <laughs> nice guy. Handsome. Respect. And it's the show. Shows a good amount of respect to the people that he meets. Right. Nice guy. Yeah. Not hoity-toity. Nick, I think you would have more trouble getting into it, like we were talking about like bouncing off of it, bouncing off of it. But I think you would really dig this book, and you would feel all the things that you were supposed to feel. It sounds like the, the entryway, Ian, is that it's about celebrities. <laughs> I think that makes it accessible. <laughs> well, one second, Nick. I feel like there's a misunderstanding in that. I want to okay. be totally clear that the character in the book is not Nick Offerman or David Sedaris. <laughs> the character in the book is voiced by Offerman. <laughs> Famed celebrity. So when you say celebrities, you mean Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, I consider that a celebrity. Okay, yeah, famous celebrity. <laughs> Guys, I think it's time to add a little structure to the show. It's too chaotic. Can mm-hmm. we go through... Let's start from the beginning. All right? We need a nice foundation. Let's go through all 50 states and figure out just a little bit more about each one of them through the form of book, through stories. Mm. This reminds me of that Suf- Sufan Stevens uh, thing that he did where he was like writing an album for fifth, all 50 states and he wrote one called Come On, Feel the Illinois. <laughs> I don't believe that happened. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Joe, but it sounds great. <laughs> no, that was a thing. There was a like a, a, a college rocker when I was in school that wrote these critically acclaimed albums, and he wanted to do one for all 50 states, and I think he did three. I think he did one for Illinois, one for Michigan. So, folks, let's start with the greatest state of them all, Florida. <laughs> hey, you know Famously what? Name, name another state that has a rapper named after it. All way. That's right. Hey, did I tell you one time about the, the the story about the one time that I saw Flo Rida at a in Florida? No, at a at a, at a basketball game. That's cool. Are there other states that you could do that with, like Flo oh, yeah. Rida, like Idaho? That kind of works. Idaho right? kind of works. Yeah, yeah. If Idaho, you want to be like, like a self-deprecating rapper, Wisconsin. Right. You know, Wisconsin. Oh, Nick, that's your rap name. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, that's your rap name. Finally. Hey, so let's do it. Let's do a Flow Rida episode next week, folks. Uh, we'll have a special guest, Flow Rida, or possibly the state of Florida. We got to iron those out. Got to talk to some publicists. I will read a book that was a New York Times bestseller by a Pulitzer Prize winner, author, humorist kind of guy named Dave Barry. Uh, Dave Barry. Dave Barry wrote a book called Best State Ever, colon, A Florida Man Defends His Homeland. 
And Nick, if you're looking for a Florida book, I am bringing the most Florida book I can think of. It's a book about oranges. It's called Oranges, written by John McPhee. Big fan of the show. Well, uh, uh, not yet. All right, Ian, what, what book did you bring for us this fine President's Day? I bring a book which is um, certainly less less highfalutin, certainly less fancy, but sounds like a good bit more pleasant, uh, just Whoa. enjoyable. There are no people dragging their massive erections oh. around with them. <laughs> At one point, it gets as big as a dog. Jesus Christ. Like in length or like what size dog? Like a wiener dog? Like a, da- like a dashand. A dashand. Yeah, a wiener. Right so wiener. Yeah, wiener dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, my book okay. is called Finding nose, George Washington. Yeah. It's a time travel tale because that's what it says in the title. A time travel tale. And Great. Okay. So time travel. So is there like a watch? Like how does he figure this out? Is there a door that leads him to more, more affordable meat? <laughs> no, there's no door to affordable meat. <laughs> a lo- uh, low price oh, beef? No, no, the, this oddly enough, I, I, I come to expect that that these books, um, these time travel books would really get into um, kind of uh, home goods and, and, and groceries and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But we don't really get that. Um, okay. no. He ends no, up no discussion of economics at all. Hmm. Hardly what about any. produce? Wow. Again, again, <laughs> again, hardly any. Um, he says, he says, take. Zarki says. Zarki says in his um, in his kind of afterward, um, it's called Why Washington, and this is where he sort of just breaks down what was like the strange things that that led up to this. He says early on, a fellow writer advised me about time travel. Don't get too technical, he said, or people will just pick it apart. Instead, focus <laughs> on what it does and how it's used. Nick and Joe will just pick it apart. <laughs> That's what he was talking about. So like, He's like, there's these two guys on this podcast. Like the, the time travel, dorks. like he explains why Washington gets sent to 2014. It's something called a temporal bounce. And I'll be taking no more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I assume he gets kicked that. by a horse. He does have a scene where they, they, temporal. they do a time travel. Somebody does a time travel and there is a, a saddle uh, like the, you would ride on a horse with and somebody sits in the saddle and, gets thrown through time but his focus is not so much on where like, is let's, the saddle let's figure out the economic <laughs> impact no hold on hold on is the saddle <laughs> on a horse no it's on a sawhorse right you don't want to bring the horse forward in time nick that's cruel <laughs> it's just like a little wooden sawhorse to like here it is <laughs> yes yeah no that's it that'll take you to the future uh, okay <laughs> what did you think a time machine would look like idiot well there's actually a, a conversation about that like um, it's not right. it's not like a, a container it, there's a whole conversation, a conversation joe okay folks hey folks if you want to learn about the conversation read finding george washington a time travel <laughs> yeah. tale by cinematographer bill zarkey okay so yeah let's just talk about that maybe since you said it last uh cinematographer wrote this now a cinematographer is um normally not writing things they are normally uh filming right with they're big camera. into lenses probably right. aspect ratios filters yeah. what ra- aspect ratio is this book in ian uh this this book is in 16 to 9 16 nice. 16 9 <laughs> good yeah classic and classic that's um, a that's a popular one yeah well and 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 i think um there is there is one part where he tries to kind of like squash it and fade it into four three, but it doesn't really right, work. Right. That's like one of the, the social missteps. media. It's yeah, um, right. goes black and white he, for a little. He while. was a cinematographer for like decades. He worked in Hollywood and he was like doing movies and such. And then he he kind of finished up and he retired and he was like, 
I'm going to tell some stories now. Uh, I've had enough. <laughs> I can do this. I've had enough telling other people's <laughs> stories. So my turn. he he's a he's an author in the the San Francisco Bay Area. He's he's like he's kind of uh, uh, Bill. If you're listening, uh, we love you and we hope you come on the podcast sometime. He's a little bit on the elderly side. Um, it seems like maybe this is kind of his retirement thing, and it also cool. seems like he's having a blast. This very much feels like he. Uh, a, a big subplot of the book is baseball and i think he's a big baseball fan he's just like <laughs> he might like baseball he's like cool. i'll put baseball in here I, and you know what it kind of works it kind of turns out um it turns out pretty well the whole baseball subplot. i love the idea you know i think a lot of people kind of kick around like well maybe i'll write my book when i retire someday and that's exactly what this yeah, guy did yeah and his book is not about like a lifetime of cinematography it's not like some deep life lessons he's like george washington gets on a sawhorse <laughs> it's got a saddle obviously and then there's a temporal kick temporal to put the bounce. listeners in the mood uh can i just explain the cover of this book <laughs> i wish you would it's a great cover okay. uh first okay. first first joe Joe, can you explain yeah. the boring, dumb cover of your book? Yeah, this should probably uh, yeah. be a, a new segment in which <laughs> we explain the covers. Uh, uh, yeah, my book cover is amazing. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> first off, first adjective. It's great. The best yeah. adjective. Okay, so I'm looking at a couple versions of my book cover right now. I have this on digital book and then audio book, so I didn't really see many of them. But it's um like a pretty great font right? A pretty great font kind of looks like maybe it was written with chalk on a chalkboard, but it's over a very spooky scape. Like it's kind of a city in the distance and it's bluish green. Real, what, uh, however, picture. I'm looking at a different cover of the book and there's a picture of Willie Lincoln on it. Like a, like his portrait. <sighs> okay. Joe is anyway, completely divulged. Nick, He's tell got us about nothing. the cover of Jesus Bill's Christ. I George think I'll Washington be describing book Washington. covers moving forward. Yeah. Holy cow. Okay. So listeners, we have a collage uh, off the, off the bat and that is do. a pun intended because we also have two baseball bats. So in the center, we see, uh, George, uh, our first president, George Washington, looking like classic George. He's he's ready to get on a river or something and like kill people at night. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. behind him is a big clock. Yep. Yeah. Like a circular but clock. Nick. And then behind that baseball field. Nick, do you see the <laughs> clock is kind of fuzzy and wobbly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like mm -hmm. time distortion yeah, going on with that clock uh, probably comes into play later. And then we have two baseball bats, almost like a pirate yeah. ship flag. Sure enough. What are those called? Uncle and Crossbones. What are those flags? No, what are the flags yeah. called? Oh, Jolly Roger. Jolly Roger. A Jolly Roger. Okay. Oh, that okay. That actually reminds me. I have some Jolly Ranchers in my pocket. I'm gonna eat one right now. Um, and then <laughs> so uh, then, so Ranch. we have two baseball bats, and then there's a train in the top top left it's corner. It's coming yep. at you. You bet there's a train it's, coming yeah, at you. I mean, and it says, um, and then it has a uh, like a um, 1993 Photoshop light coming out of it, solid orange. That's used to highlight the word finding. So we see finding yeah. George Washington hey, in time travel. I'm tale. looking at it myself. This is this is yeah. as we know, Lidheads. We always do this. This is um, graphic design corner where we discuss graphic design. Nick, mm -hmm. I don't know yeah. that that's actually a light. I think that may be a baseball pennant. I, I think it's Amazing. definitely a baseball pennant because the font is like a very baseball yeah. font. It's oh, like that you're kind right. Of See, it um, looked like the tip of the 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 corner was coming out I of the tray. Or you would think that, and that's that's honestly a little bit of a mistake on the the designer's yeah. part. But I'll also note a couple a couple of other details. <laughs> His only mistake. Yeah, I mean the rest of this is is golden. But a couple other details. Um, the the words George Washington right. are in kind of a blocky font, which is uh, rimmed right. with, with orange. 
Um, it's black. The letters right. are black rimmed with orange, which happens to be uh, the colors that the San Francisco baseball giants. The Orioles? The Giants. Is that yeah. Giants. Um, giants. Okay. Sport. Um, yeah. Sport. Yeah, that's a good You sport. know, I was going to say that, like, when you look at this cover, the first thing that you get is George yep. Washington, but the first thing you right. get might be baseball. Like, like it's, yeah. it's, it's George Washington and baseball are tied for the biggest yep. features on this cover. Yeah. And then train is Bottom number three. Like, like train is the third. It's almost impossible to not have this be the first question. Does George Washington come back into, come to the future to play baseball? Is he a pitcher? Is he a catcher? What's his ERA? Well, he, is he the coach? He doesn't come on purpose. So we can't say he come, comes to do it, but he does become All a right. fan. He does. He does become a fan of the San Francisco baseball giants during the, his sojourn. Um, and uh, he does end up missing their World Series victory in 2014 by a few hours, which oh. is disappointing. Oh, but uh, this is, oh. kind of reminds me of the Stephen King book in more ways than one. Yeah. In more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he comes back, not interested no in meats. produce, but he stumbles across no. sports. And does he bat? Well, here's the problem with traveling forward in time is it's really hard to bet. <laughs> I, mean, I would say it's about as easy for him to bet as it would be for any of us. But um, well, I might even say it would be harder because he doesn't have like, you know, doesn't yeah. have all the knowledge. That's some or, scary shit to travel into the future. I don't think I'd be going into the future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not at this rate. Ian, what's your book? about? Um, OK. Uh, as I mentioned, George Washington gets temporal bounced and he ends up in the Bay Area in 2014 and he meets this guy who is the narrator. And this guy helps George Washington get back to his timeline before the world as we know it falls apart. I fucking love when Ian brings these books. <laughs> it is makes the- him so physical. Hey, Litheads, we're looking at Ian right now in video chat. <laughs> because of the internet and um he's i think he's visibly uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) Uh, part of the book um zarki says like he starts off he he intended this to be a kind of kind of a funny fish out of water story and there is this like this is a big part of it like what would happen if george washington came to the modern era and saw like modern stuff um so like part of it is just just like simple it's like simple fun. Would he wear those tall he would socks? Go get a couch on the day of President's Day. There's a there's a whole like do it like um, our our main character, our narrator, and his friends are like, do we tell Washington about like all of the stuff that Washington like <laughs> how big he how the fact that there's a state named Washington. There's a whole hilarious part where yeah, or here's a dollar exactly. Bill. Washington's like, oh cool, I'm on, I'm on money, and then they're like, yeah, and then um. Ben Franklin's on a hundred dollar bill. Is this one worth the most amount? <laughs> I assume this is the biggest money. Ben Frank, he's like, Ben Franklin's on a hundred. And he's like, I hate that. Washington gets all angry because he is only worth, he's worth one one hundredth of, of a Franklin. There's all this pretty good. Like it's legitimately funny fish out of water stuff. Banter. Uh, George yeah. learns about baseball. He eats hamburgers. He smokes weed. There's a, a memorable part where he gets high uh, up in the mountains and right. he rides around. Great. Go in California. Yes. California. Classic, classic California situation. But Zarki doesn't just kind of like leave it here. He moves beyond this. Oh, wow. George Washington doesn't know things Uh, because Washington was smart and Washington was able to kind of like think on his feet and adapt. And so he has Washington start like pranking the other modern characters by pretending not to know things. (laughs) So like, 
Giants right. Washington. Okay. Give us an example. So um, he insists on calling the San Francisco Giants the Gigantics. And they're always like, okay. they're always like, no, George, it's Giants. And then eventually they're like, hey, hey, George. Is he trolling us? You're trolling us. <laughs> yeah. George Washington troll. Um, so this is That's really good. good. This this fish out, of, fish out of water stuff is really, really solid. But I think what I like even better than that is the way that this book kind of straddles genres. So are you guys familiar with the genre of um, alternate history? Like, what if Hitler was killed? Like most Quentin Tarantino movies would be alternate history and glorious. Oh, glorious sure. bastards, yeah, for sure. I, I'm thinking of like Man in the High Castle is a good example. Um, or stories where it's like, what happens if um, this major historical event had gone differently? So a lot of alternate history stories, almost all of them, all of them that I've read actually start hundreds of years after the event. So like there, you're, you're, you open the book and you're immediately in the world of the alternate history. Um, okay. This book. So, so sorry, sorry. I'm setting up. I'm setting up. So that's the first kind. You got your alternate history. You open the book. You're automatically there things are weird. You know, uh, the Germans are everywhere. The Nazis are everywhere. And there are Japanese people, um, living in San Francisco and cause they're, cause they won the war okay. and stuff. Um, wait, what? That's the man in the high castle and the man in the high castle. America is oh, split. Okay. And Nazis get like <laughs> the Midwest and the East. And Got it. The Japanese get, um, the West. The other kind of like take on this is what we see in like back to the future. When Marty McFly looks at the photo and his sibling brother, sister, whatever starts to fade. So we can like some yeah. alternate history, some, some time travel, we can start to see the history taking shape, but we don't really get stories where the main character undergoes the change where history is being rewritten. Culture is being rewritten. Mm-hmm. And the main character is like watching their world change around them. So in this story okay so so go ahead yeah i think joe and i are pr- pretty soundly yeah. lost keep going well yeah like I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious so like so because is it because george washington travels right. in time that george washington is no longer there to, to win the war yeah so i guess that's the question when he comes is it before he's a general is it before he's president like at what point does he, he come? comes to the future in valley forge so before the t- the, the tables turn oh. america hasn't won the war yet he travels. Oh, in- this is an important piece of information. Are we British subjects? Are we a yes. colony? So they have this. Oh. He, the, at first, the timeline is fine, right? George has come come to the future, and he's that means he's not in the past anymore. He's not in our past anymore. George has come to the future, and so he's having fun. He's eating hot dogs and hamburgers and saying San Francisco gigantics. But then gradually, our main character and other people begin to notice things are different. Things in the world are kind of different. So one of the kind of the big ideas is the, like the queen's on all the money, <laughs> not on the so it's, they're on the West Coast, though. And oh, who is in charge of the West Coast during like the old times? Uh, Everything is um, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. I, the Mexicans, right? Mexico. Yeah, it's Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. But I said Mexican. Mexico. That's a bad no, guess. So, so I disagree. Like sp- Spanish architecture, which is already kind of present in mm-hmm. California now. There's more of it. There are more Mexican restaurants. There's less and less sort of American food. There's less and less American, like conventionally American culture. There's also more Russian culture because at the time that Washington was, was fighting the the revolutionary war, there were Russians on the coast of California trying to make California a Russian colony. So the West coast becomes kind of this weird hybrid of, of Spanish, Mexican and Russian. And the East coast is just absolutely um, 
British. They don't play baseball anymore. <laughs> they play cricket. They have oh. huge cricket stadiums and big cricket fans. So how sad does that make George Washington? He has to just hate that. Can we do a week where you guys just bring cricket books and we just try to figure out how that game is played? Yes. That okay. sounds great. Uh, <laughs> that sounds amazing. We're gonna finally <laughs> nail it down. We'll break it down for you, yeah. for you lit heads. For the lit heads. Yeah. So the the cool thing about this book, I'm I'm so, I'm kind of giving you all this background to say they have this kind of climactic cross-country trip. As things are changing dramatically, as the timeline is changing around them. And so they get to watch an alternate history, an alternate reality overtaking their familiar reality. They remember the old reality, but everyone around them doesn't. So for everyone else, it's normal. But the alternate reality, the alternate timeline is kind of getting set. And so they watch things changing. And it's a little bit creepy. It's a little bit spooky. Not like not like grotesque and, and horrifying, but like right, like Joe's book. It really does. It makes you know. It really makes you think. Yeah, it really makes you think. Um, so I like it. Okay, so it works. The fish out it of does. water works. It he pulls it off. Huh? He does. He does. And and, yeah. and he he really takes it to heart. What his buddy said. Don't try and get too much into the the, the complexity of it. Um, it, it's not hand wavy. It's not like yes, it's time travel. Forget about it. There's there's enough, but he doesn't get into the weeds too far. And really what he wanted to do was put kind of do an experiment with, well, like, what would Washington do in our time? So um, there's some really good George Washington content. If you're looking for a President's Day booklet heads, there is actually some legitimate George Washington content. Yeah, including if you're looking to get in the mood, extended arguments about why George Washington owns slaves. Oh, like and what's the deal with that? How he's able to fight for freedom if he still owns slaves. Right. And why he maybe just George. couldn't free the slaves and move on. And I am pleased to report that this rewrites history a little bit. And George Washington learns not to be racist. And he, when he goes back to his own time, he frees his slaves. Wow. Oh, huh. Wow. That sounds profoundly problematic. <laughs> just giving the people what they want. I, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a, you fiction. You can do what you want. And in this in this fiction, he was like, hey, I want to make I want to change his mind. Hey, we can't ask him. But exactly. I'm going to choose to believe that he would have done the right thing. No, 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 no. It's not like no. It's not is like, that what you're saying? It's not like he's saying, "Oh, Washington was secretly really just a good guy." He's saying, "Hey, the Washington of history has problems, but in my fantasy, we bring Washington to our time and we teach him that you can't be a racist, and then we send him back, and he's not a racist. The world could be a better place, and that's mm-hmm. truly the message of this book." Truly, truly, truly. Well, these both sound really good. Um, Very different. <laughs> a little, but similar because they both have presidents in them, Joe. True. I feel like he wasn't paying attention, Ian. That's um, <laughs> concerning. Yeah, so that was okay. Um, so on the one hand, I love the idea of George Washington and baseball. It's a lot of fun. Full stop. Um, on the other hand, Joe, it sounds like uh, your book had a lot of like f- comedians I like in it. Like I really mm-hmm. like Bill Hader. 
I think he's great. Bill Hader's in it. You would, Nick, you would love David Sedaris. We've never talked about him on this show, but you would really like him. And he loves him. Is that the, the guy from CSS, uh, CSI Miami? Yeah. With the glasses? Definitely that's David Sedaris. Yeah, hey, David, you if you're listening, it. we do respect and appreciate you as hey, a David. thinker. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, Ian, you lose. Joe, I, I, I think this book sounds really interesting. Yeah. Sorry, Ian. I might just read your book one day, too. You never know. That's not how this works. You're not allowed to read the books to lose. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's more so not a list of books to read. It's a list of books I can't read. You're, you're culling. Um, Leadheads, um, we would love it if you would head over to the podcast player of your choice. Subscribe and give us five stars and a review if you please. Um, you can like us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, and it, Facebook. And in real life. Uh, I don't think anyone likes us in real life. Have you heard us? <laughs> no, um, not me. If you want to go to the Bardo, we've got an, uh, a Bardo specially set up for, uh, it's kind of branded mm-hmm. for this episode. Uh, at South by Southwest this year, so that'll be fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can head over to yep. our website too to, to tell us what you want. Tell us what you really, really want. Uh, suggest books, suggest themes. Um, tell us how bad of a job we're doing and how they really, you really think that Nick should. Ian sounds so sad right Nick now. Nick should choose more books mm-hmm. about baseball. Um, <laughs> and in conclusion, <laughs> Willie. Willie. I hope you get out of there someday, oh. buddy. It sounds mm-hmm. unpleasant. Oh. So, uh, just to set up this quote very little bit, everybody that lives in the Bardo has something that tethers them to the world. One character, the thing that tethers him to the world is he committed suicide and at the very last moment realized he. That he loved the world too much to die, right? Like he just loved so much about being alive. And um, when he speaks, he frequently speaks in terms of what is beautiful about the world that we live in. And this is uh, one of his quotes. He says, there was nothing left for me to do but go. Though the things of the rest of the world were strong with me still, such as, for example, a gaggle of children trudging through a side-blown December flurry. A friendly match share between some collision titled streetlight. A frozen clock, a bird visited with its high tower, cold water from a tin jug towering off one's clinging shirt post in June rain. Pearls, rags, buttons, rug tuft, beer froth. Some kind wishes for you, someone remembering to write, someone noticing that you're not at all at ease. A bloody rust, red dead on a platter, a hedge teep under head and as you flee late to some chalk and wood fire smelling schoolhouse. Geese above, clover below, the sound of one's own breath when winded. The way a moistness in the eye will blur a field of stars. The sore place on the shoulder resting toboggan makes, writing one's beloved's name upon a frosted window with a gloved finger, tying a shoe, tying a knot on a package, a mouth on yours, a hand on yours, the ending of the day, the beginning of the day, the feeling that there will always be a day ahead. Goodbye. I must now say goodbye to all of it. <laughs>